Blog Talk Radio.
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And our prayers go out to everybody all over the world who is in need. And we pray for those who are aching, who hurt, who are hungry. We pray, pray, pray for each other, for our salvation. And we pray to give each other hope and hold each other up in times of happiness and sadness and death and in life and in birth. And we just hold each other up as we're here on this earth together. And we pray for each other in every circumstance that we find each other in, and we pray for our salvation. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Yes, we are on Epistle of John, and I have titled this, Hey Gaius, Watch Your Back. And this is according to Wikipedia. The third epistle of John is often referred to as John the Third, or Third John, or Three John. And it's third to the last book of the New Testament and Christian Bible as a whole. And attributed to John the Evangelist, traditionally thought to be the author of the Gospel of John and the two other epistles of John. The third epistle of John is a private letter composed to a man named Gaius recommending him to a group of Christians led by Demetrius, which have come to preach the gospel in the area where Gaius lived. The purpose of a letter is to encourage and strengthen Gaius and to warn him against Diotrephus, who refuses to cooperate with the author of the letter. Early church literature contains no mention of the epistle, with the first reference to it appearing in the middle of the third century, this lack of a documentation, though likely due to the extreme brevity of the epistle, caused early church writers to doubt its authenticity until the early 5th century, when it was accepted into the canon along with two other epistles of John. The language of the third John echoes that of the Gospel of John, which is conventionally dated to around A.D. 90, so the epistle is likely written near the end of the 1st century. Others contest this view, such as the scholar John A.T. Robinson, who dates the third John to C.A.D. 60 through 65. The location of writing is unknown, but tradition places it to Ephesus. The epistle is found in many of the oldest New Testament manuscripts, and its text is free of major discrepancies or textual variants. So we accept it as canon, and as was accepted into the canon. And now as we turn to our Ryrie Study Bible, as I try to see it, I might have to switch to uh, a, a large written version of the Bible, um, as I did get my cataracts fixed. But as I age, I find that it's harder and harder to see. So anyway, I'm reading out of my beloved Rari Study Bible, the expanded edition, the New American Standard. Anyway, 3 John, introduction. Author is John, dated 90. Characteristics of the letter. This is a very personal letter addressed to Gaius, which focuses on an ecclesiastical problem regarding traveling teachers. Gaius has given them hospitality, whereas Diotrephus, a self-assertive leader in one of the churches, has refused to receive them. 
John exhibits apostolic authority in his rebuke of Deotrephus uh, and Demetrius, who himself may have been tra- a traveling teacher, probably delivered the letter to Gaius. So it has a we have the outline here, and then I'll read the notes later. And it says the third letter of John. Open greetings, the elder to the beloved Gaius, who I love in truth. The influence of Gaius, his godly life. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, that is, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children are walking in truth. And then his generous treatment of traveling ministers. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially where there are strangers, and they have testified your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God, for they went out for the sake of the name, accepting the name in capital N, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to deport such men so that we may may be fellow workers with the truth. And so the indictment of, uh, we'll call him Dio, his selfish ambition. I wrote something to the church, but Dio, who loves to be the first among them, does not accept what we say. For in his selfish activities, for this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does unjustly accusing us with wicked words and not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive his brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate this evil, for what is good? The one who does, does good is of God, and one who does evil is not, has not seen God. The introduction of Demetrius. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone, from truth itself, and we add our testimony and for you know that our testimony is true. I'm turning the page now. Concluding remarks and benediction. I had many things to write to you, and I am not willing to write them to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly, and I will seek, speak to you face to face. Peace be with you, my friends. Greet, greet you and greet the friends by name. Wow. Okay, let's go read the notes. The notes are the elder, John under authorship. This is uh, unusually brief, though affectionate greeting. And then he says to be in good health, physical health. Uh, perhaps uh, Gaius had been ill. Nevertheless, his inner life has been prosperous. And others testify Gaius lived in accord with God's truth. And he says, my children, meaning beneficiaries of God's ministry, whom he had probably led to Christ, and for the brethren and strangers, Gaius had added both brethren and strangers, the latter being more difficult, therefore more praiseworthy form of hospitality. Traveling evangelists and teachers were dependent on men like Gaius for shelter and sustenance. Recipients of Gaius's hospitality was told of his love before the church, and John, probably Ephesius, to send them on their way to help them in their journey with food, money, and arrangements for companions, means of travel, and so on. 
And then seven, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. These traveling missionaries declined to receive help from those who were not converted, lest they would appear to be selling the gospel. They had to be very careful with their uh, with the, their appearance of any wrongdoing. And eight, those who supported traveling teachers to become partners in their work. And previously, John had written a letter to Gaius' church, but uh, Mr. Dio had not obeyed it and perhaps even suppressed it. And then uh, Dio, some sort of exclusion, either formal excommunication or not. And then Paul recommends uh, Demetrius to give his hospitality. So uh, this guy Dio, well, he's not with us any longer, but uh, we can see that there's antagonists in the church even back then. And then he talks about the pen was a reed-pointed pen, which was used with the ink as compounded charcoal, gum, and water, and that's how they made ink. And then he said in verse 15, by name, the individual and separate greetings, and John, the the under-shepherd, follows the example of the good shepherd, which is Jesus, and the only other source by name, John, and uh, greet the friends by name. So... He was talking about um, how much he loved all his friends, and God blessed all of them and the hard work they did because that's why we have the New Testament and why uh, we are Christians today. The word, what they did, their hard work they did back then, and the prices they paid and the humility uh, that they suffered is why we are here today, and we get our strength from them, and I feel bad, and uh, whatever happened to Dios, I don't know, but uh, he's thrown people out of the church, but he was setting a bad example. But anyway, so next uh, week, we're going on to Jude, and I will read the introduction of that then, and and after Jude, let's see, what what's that's, uh, wow, Jude, then on to Revelation, and we have made it thus far, my young people. I love you very much for sticking with us for how many years have we been doing this. And it's kind of amazing and gratifying that uh, we have made it this far together. We have trudged the New Testament all the way through. And I don't know if I'm going to go through with the uh, Old Testament. I don't know if I can take all the begats and the begones, but uh, we might try it. I don't know. But anyway... Let's go on to the best angel stories by the editors of Guideposts. We did uh, the story about, uh, let's see what we're doing, the angel of Mary Leap. So this week, we're going to do Angels from Interpol by Edward Grinnan. Here we go. I awoke, or really I came to. I felt like a diver who had broken the surface of some murky, briny estuary. I had no idea how much time had elapsed, days. I remember visiting a church and how the blinding light through the windows had overwhelmed me. I had fragmentary memories of stumbling through Copenhagen of an unpleasantary encounter. Somehow I had managed to make it back here where I had holed up for weeks, where no one knew where I was, where or how I wanted it to, just how I wanted it to be. From my vantage point from the floor, I surveyed the hotel room. It was dusk, the long, slow gloaming of Scandinavian spring evening, May, 
this had all started in the Spring Festival where I was in the city for a bus- on business for a Danish company I worked for for a long time. started innocently enough, I thought. I thought I could handle just one. The room was a wreck. The bed clothes were heaped in a corner. Cigarette butts overturned overflowing ashtrays in the middle of the floor with a phone unplugged from the wall. Clothes were strewn about, pages of the International Herald Tribune, room service plates mostly untouched. There was no telling how long I had eaten since I had been eaten. I had eaten. Days probably empty bottles everywhere, especially those miniatures you get in hotel mini bars. The window was open. The standard issue Defanius hotel curtains undulating languidly in a raw, wet updraft is a cold a relief on my face, half of which I feared bore the imprint of the rug. I could not remember opening the window, but I had a good idea why. We were 21 floors up, a straight, unimpeded plunge. I needed to get myself a drink first, though I had no idea if I could keep it down. But my hands were shaking something awful. My whole body was shaking, and a terrible angst was beginning to boil up from the pit of my being, a crippling side of panic, anxiety, and dread. I stood unsteady and poured myself a drink, the bottle rattling against the glass due to my tremors, sounding almost like someone calling for a toast at a wedding. This was no toast. I wasn't even sure I could keep it down. This was purely medicinal. Without some alcohol in my system quick, there was a good chance I would go into convulsions. I lurched into the bathroom in case I couldn't keep the drink in, clenching my teeth so that if some of it did come up, I might still be able to swallow it if the alcohol could get into my bloodstream and eventually my brain, where it would uncoil some of that terror. I was not new to the process, despite the fact that I hadn't yet turned 30. I leaned over the toilet bowl to be ready just in case, and I was horrified to notice it was full of blood and bits of my stomach lining, and I vaguely recalled an attack of dry heave sometimes earlier. I hid hid the... I hit the flushing mechanism with my foot and nearly fell over, caught my balance by grabbing the sink, and found myself face-to-face with a rabid visage in the mirror that took me a moment to recognize his mind. I saw a depraved doppelganger staring at me, seeming like he could almost leap out and wrestle me out of that window. This was that me that had just thrown away two years of hard-earned sobriety a sobriety in which I thought I had discovered a personal relationship with a loving God to whom I had relinquished my drinking and drugging and other manifold failings, to whom I had given my life completely. But then one drink sitting dockside on a beautiful Danish evening had destroyed it all. How many days ago was that? How many weeks? Did it matter? I had changed hotels, dropped off the face of the earth, and never returning from the business trip, contacting no one. I can only imagine what my mother was going through. She had already lost one son tragically. Death was the ultimate, the end to shame, guilt, and remorse. I had been so hollowed by alcohol. There were only the emotions I could experience. I had taken my will and life back from God, or had he thrown them back at me in disgust? 
My feeling was beyond hate, self-hatred, though it was surely that. I just no longer saw a reason for myself. This would not be an act of despair. It would be an act of reason. Suicide was never the final option. A drink was. I poured myself another one. Surprised, I stared out the window. I had opened it for a reason. I knew what that was. I pushed the window up. The drink was helping me find a bit more back of my rail on my rails. I kicked off my shoes and I straddled the sill, one leg hanging over the void and the other in tenuous contact with the floor. I leaned back and took a long pull from the glass and set it on my belly, feeling myself growing drowsy again, slumping ever so slightly out the window as the world faded. Maybe I should just let gravity make the decision. I don't know how long I stayed poised between life and death, daring death to prevail, and really quite indifferent to its outcome, I entered the final petrified state of hopelessness, hopelessness of indifference. I utterly relaxed, and I may have drifted off before I was awakened by an insistent knocking at the door. My heart nearly exploded out of my chest, and I toppled on the floor, spilling alcohol everywhere. Are you in there? A man's voice demanded. Can you hear me? It was an imperative they not kick the door in. I couldn't bear that on top of everything else, so I lurched over to the door and opened it a crack, keeping the chain on and peered out. Two nearly identically dressed figures were in the hallway, a man and a woman, wearing no-nonsense dark suits. The man wore a tie, and the woman's collar was open. Is there a problem, I croaked? You tell us, the man said, and he and his partner both held out law enforcement badges. Interpol, the woman spoke. Why would the Interpol police be here? I had it killed. So had I killed someone in a blackout? No, I wasn't that bad off. I calculated out how long it would be to kick the doors out and made it to the window, but they what they but all they did was affirm my identity. Can I help you in some way? I asked, trying not to slur my words. They just stood there staring at me, inside me, through me. We're just checking to see if you're alive, the man said. Apparently I am, I tried to joke, but they didn't smile. Not for a long, I added to myself. All right then, said the man, stuffing his badge back inside his coat jacket. We're just checking in on you. Thanks, I said a little wobbly. Kind of you. They headed slowly down the hall. Look after yourself, Edward, the woman said over her shoulder, her gaze capturing mine until the ding of the elevator broke the spell. I sagged against the door and closed it with my body weight, then slid down to the floor. If I was going to act, I should do it now. Who knew if they were going to come back, maybe with others? I wasn't going through with that. I tried everything, and nothing worked on me. I was the poster boy for hopeless causes. Of course, I didn't go do away with myself in that gloomy day in Copenhagen. In fact, what happened in that next few minutes in that hotel room was the most sublime and powerful experience of my life and would lead me a few months later to a magazine I had never heard of, destitute, virtually homeless, and desperate for a job. That magazine and book company was Guideposts. Sorry. Try as I might, over the next few years, I was never able to find out who sent those two Interpol agents. Not my employer at the time, 
nor the hotel who denied Interpol agents had ever been there the night before, nor my friends, nor my roommate, nor the airline, nor my family, nor anyone at all. To this day, 25 years later, I have never found out. Wow. So the Interpol angel, I can't help it. It's just, this is too crazy, okay? So the Interpol angels came to intervene on this man's behalf, and he found the Interpol, and he found the Guy Post magazine, which led him back to his recovery. I don't know if he went to AA or not. God helped the guy, and he stayed sober. 25 years later, he's still alive. Whatever happened, uh, bless those angels. God bless us with our own Interpol angels. And let's close it with our, our traditional prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. May your angels watch and guide over you to help you. Help you in recovery from whatever you need to recover from. And help us do together what we could not do alone. May God help us in every way. Amen. Okay, I love you guys. I'll see you next week, and we're going to approach Jude. I love you. God bless you. Amen. Bye-bye. Well, some people say You've got to smile through it all Take a licks with a grin Like some painted porcelain doll and I was born a poor man's son With a bucket full of bloom It's hard to pretend you're winning When all you do is lose Lord knows I've been wrung out and spent I got no money to pay the rent Strung out in the rainy weather But out two times we rode together Oh.
Well, it's possible to do, but you gotta have faith. 